0: So, in the post war period, we saw a revival of the um, of international institutions, uh, but in a very short period of time, these institutions were challenged again. And have gone into a decline.
1: We are headed into an era in global politics that I think will be a historical novelty, and that is the world is headed toward what I was what I would call globalized multipolarity
2: the competition of China-U.S. relations, we also have a major impact on global governance.
3: The, the world, the global system, um, is going to um, witness what you might regard as a new world order. And that new world order is going to be a lot more disputed, it's going to be more conflictual,
4: So I think there's going to be a period of great economic turbulence where we had to rewrite uh, economic rules and um, see how they get accepted by a large number of
5: countries. It is important to provide financial support, but the system we currently have to access uh, financing and uh, have a lender of last resort is in a way designed for a world where we didn't identify the challenges we're currently facing.
6: International debt food insecurity. These are issues that are going to haunt us for some time to come, and we better think of them and try to cope with them to have more or less things under control.
7: What we have to do is uh, to find uh, a mechanism of uh, uh, somehow bridging the gap uh, between interdependence uh, and diversity.
8: How do we build institutions? that are seen to be to belong to people, to empower people.
9: And so if we hope to address the great planetary challenges facing us and to avoid uh, a race to the bottom, um, leaders need to develop uh, new strategies, new approaches to heal these fractures.
10: We live in turbulent times. Globalized challenges like climate change, pandemics, migration and supply chain disruptions are rising in urgency. The international system of global governance faces an increasingly troubled relationship between China and the U.S. and the war in Ukraine. Domestic economic and political developments also pose potent challenges from within. International competition is moving into technological and digital spaces. With these challenges in mind, in June 2023, Georgetown University School of Foreign Service and the LSE failing US Centre convened the second meeting of the Lloyd George Study Group on Global Governance. The study group aims to make a meaningful contribution to both scholarly and public debate and help to close the growing gap between the demand for and the supply of global governance. Consisting of ten core members with broad regional representation globally, Its mandate is to analyze and debate the shape of the emerging international system, how to adapt existing international institutions and policies to a rapidly changing landscape, and what new structures and arrangements might be needed to advance global governance. For this episode of The Ballpark, we asked each of the 10 members of the Lloyd George Study Group on Global Governance one question. What do you take to be the defining global challenges of the coming decades? Their answers tell us a great deal about what global challenges we face and how we might begin to tackle them.
0: Okay, I'm Selena Ho, uh, National University of Singapore, and I am in the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Well, I actually have three big groups or baskets of challenges uh, uh, for uh, global challenges of the coming decades. One is, and I think the first one is the most obvious one, which is great power rivalry and uh, order transition. Well, uh, there are several implications of the great power rivalry or order transition. Uh, one is that the fate of the liberal international order is um, in question, whether it's in demise or we're seeing a transformation of the LIO. The other one is, is the world in bipolarity or is are we looking at a multipolar world order? Um, in terms of absolute um, power, in terms of absolute material power, we're actually looking at bipolarity, um, that is the United States and China. Um, but the what's actually happening on the ground is a lot more interesting. Uh, there is a um, the aspirations of the rest uh, beyond the two great powers. Uh, that hope for a multipolar world. Uh, in the part of um, the world that I come from in Southeast Asia, uh, multipolarity is an aspiration. Uh, this is to prevent the um, the great power rivalry from overwhelming uh, the rest of the sm- of the smaller countries uh, in the region. So that's aspirational, a multipolar world order. Um, We're also looking at the, one of the key uncertainties we're looking at will be the impact of intense rivalry on international institutions. So in the post-coop period, we saw a revival of the, um, of international institutions. Uh, But in a very short period of time, these institutions were challenged again, have gone into a decline uh, we can see this in the paralysis of the United States, uh, United Nations State Security Council. The actions against Russia, we see, we see this in WHO, in the WTO. This is another key issue that we have to look at when we talk about the impact of great power rivalry on international institutions. Um, the great power rivalry is also creating a leadership vacuum. Uh, the United States, uh, we saw this when Trump uh, came into power retreated from international uh, institutions um, and you can see uh, making allies worried and concerned uh, with what, where U.S. policy is going. Uh, Joe Biden, now that his president has been trying to revive these U.S. leadership. But then we know that America is a wounded nation and we're not sure um, what's going to happen in the next presidential election 2024. Um, so, And then you have China on the other side. Um, Domestic politics is also a concern in China. There is huge unemployment, uh, domestic uh, economic slowdown. Uh, So we are worried about a potential problems, domestic chaos, domestic instability in China. And that could also impact its ability to lead, even though it has, uh, under presidency, China has shown the desire for global leadership. Now, this brings me to my next point, which is uh, the big, next big basket of challenges is the fragmentation of domestic politics. It used to be that foreign policy was protected and insured from domestic politics. But the growth of nationalism and um, has beca- governments have uh, become more sensitive public opinion and nationalist sentiments have um, arisen have, have because of, you know, the um, COVID, the pandemic and the things that are related to that. So governments in the past have actually constructed an external em- enemy as a form of distraction or uh, in, a, in an effort to unite the people. And in this case, we see the images of um, Americans and Chinese people about each other have actually hardened. So that's a, that's a big challenge. Uh, domestic politics is also impacting uh, international organisations. Their distrust and scepticism of IOs. Uh, they are seen as undermining sovereignty and national identity. So it's all part of this deglobalization trend, uh, but you know it's and this this turning against uh, IOs distrust of IOs is not just limited to the far right, but it's also uh, there are others who feel um, that way about IOs as well. Now th- the third great challenge of our time is managing non-traditional security threats. Now these range from climate change, uh, governance, and the whole host of human security problems such as food security refugee problems, including climate refugees, future pandemics, the governance of new technologies such as AI, 5G, biotechnology. Um, these are you know, um, challenges which our IOs, our international organisations in their current form, are very ill-equipped to um, deal with. Our abilities to cope with these changes, to set standards and ethics related to these new technologies, changes in the environment um, are falling far behind. Uh, and we need to be able to catch up. So these are the three big groups of challenges uh, that I think uh, will be um, defining for our uh, coming decades.
10: Selina Ho is Assistant Professor in International Affairs and Co-Director of the Center on Asia and Globalization, Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, National University of Singapore.
1: Charles Kupchan, Professor of International Affairs at Georgetown University and senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. I'm going to uh, identify two interrelated challenges that I think are uh, the paramount ones of our our time. Uh, The first is the economic and political health of of the West. Uh, And I do think that the threat that illiberal populism poses to established democracies on both sides of the Atlantic, is as potent as the threat posed by external powers, Russia, China, whoever else may end up being arrayed against the Western world. Uh, And that's because I do think that the tenor of global politics moving forward depends upon the health, vitality, and dynamism of a liberal democratic anchor. Uh, and that anchor is not as strong as it used to be. And I think it, it, it has to do with the onset of the digital era. Automation and globalization have undermined the economic welfare of workers on both sides of the Atlantic and and to some extent threatened the social contract of the industrial era. And our societies are trying to figure out how to navigate the digital era and get our workers back up on their feet. Uh, And and that is in part about investment, um, public infrastructure, but it's also an intellectual problem of of figuring out how to make sure that social media and AI and digital technology increase productivity and employment rather than hollowing out our, our middle classes. So that's point number one and i think that that's particularly important because we are headed into an era in global politics that i think will be a historical novelty and that is the world is headed toward what i was what i would call globalized multipolarity it will be multipolar in the sense that you may have dominating blocks around the united states and china but power is shifting not just from west to east but north to south and i think many countries in what we call the global south which will be climbing into the top ranks will not choose sides they will not align themselves neatly with either the united states or china india indonesia brazil these are developing countries that will enter the top ranks in the coming decades, uh, they will likely chart their own courses. And because this multipolar world will be globalized, interdependent, not just in a commercial sense, but the big tasks of our time are tackling climate change, dealing with global pandemics, figuring out how to navigate the cybersphere. This will require cooperation across ideological dividing lines in a a complicated, messy, multipolar world. Getting that cooperation will require steady leadership from a healthy West.
10: Charles Kupchin is Senior Fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and Professor of International Affairs at Georgetown University in the Walsh School of Foreign Service and Department of Government.
2: Wu Xinbo from Fudan University. The competition of China-US relations will also have a major impact on global governance. Because as the two largest economies in the world, China and US, whether they can cooperate in managing macroeconomic situations or not, will have a lot to do with the future of world economy. Not to say in dealing with climate change, public health and other transnational challenges. So overall, I think the future of the relationship between China and the United States, as the competition intensifies between two countries, will really uh, hinge on the uh, future of international relations in the next 10 years.
10: Wu Xin Bao is Professor and Dean, Institute of International Studies and Director at the Center for American Studies at Fudan University.
3: My name is Segusa Usagai. Nigerian Institute of International Affairs in Nigeria where I'm Director General. Here I see two challenges of the coming decade. One is poverty and how to reduce it. Um, Because the World Bank estimates by the year 2030 to 2050, the number of the um, multi-dimensional poverty-ridden people in the world is likely to double. And that doubling um, has an even added complication. It is going to consist more of young people than old people. Um, if the young people become desperately poor, then that's going to mean, you know, that we'll have a serious challenge, all kinds of things can come out of desperate poverty that is multidimensional. So you'll expect to have an increase in conflict, increase in violence, an increase in um, rebellion and protest. Um, so, you know, we, we, we have to Uh, rise up to the challenge of increasing poverty. The second challenge that I see um, going forward is that the world, the global system, um, is going to um, witness what you might regard as a new world order. And that new world order is going to be a lot more... um, disputed. It's going to be more conflictual. And therefore, you know, um, multilateral platforms like the United Nations would be challenged further to see that we can get close to what would be a return to global order rather than anarchy.
10: Igosa Emmanuel Osage is professor of political science at the University of Ibadan and Director General of the Nigerian Institute of International Affairs. My name is uh, Raja Mohan. Uh, I'm with the
4: Asia Society Policy Institute uh, in Delhi as a senior fellow. I think there are two challenges, if I might say. I mean, one managing the great power rivalry you know, that has come back after nearly three decades of relative harmony among the major powers. Uh, and the sharpest expression we've already seen in Ukraine. Uh, In Asia, uh, similarly, uh, China is locked in a number of disputes and uh, is eager to uh, restore what it sees are its territories. So, dealing with this challenge of uh, expansionist uh, powers and the conflict that they generate with the status quo powers, and I think managing that is going to be a big challenge. To make matters worse, are uh, the three decades of economic globalization um, is today being replaced by a measure of deglobalization where many leading economies certainly the US and China both feel the globalization process has not worked for them so the question then becomes uh, what kind of a new set of rules we can create for global economic engagement and we're seeing the US outline a number of steps China outlined a number of steps. So I think there's going to be a period of great economic turbulence where we had to rewrite
10: uh, economic rules and um, see how they get accepted by a large number of countries. Si Mohan is a senior fellow at the Asia Society Policy Institute, Delhi.
5: Cornelia Wall, Hattie School, Berlin. I would say uh, one of the very urgent problems we have to address is how to provide financial solidarity in the world and in particular from the north to the south, but also uh, in a way so we can respond to the um, challenges we've identified that are putting um, a particular burden on countries for uh, no particular reason other than the fact that they are exposed to, for example, environmental um, uh, change, climate change in particular. That they're vulnerable, um, that they are in a particular um, configuration where the uh, global pandemic hits them. And we know that in these times uh, it is important to provide financial support, but the system we currently have to access uh, financing and uh, have a lender of last resort is in a way designed for a world where we didn't identify the challenges we're currently facing. And so it is important, that we rethink how we provide financial solidarity, who has access to the institutions we build, um, with which conditions we grant that aid. And uh, we also take um, into account the way in which the world has changed. Uh, We now have China as a more important player than we had when we designed the Bretton Woods system. And we see that China is unilaterally now providing a substantial amount of Uh, liquidity to countries in distress and also loans to their state enterprise. And we need to address what that means for a world in in which we want to provide that solidarity and uh, also then possibly at one point restructure or reconfigure this aid in a way that is consensual and agreed upon by the different participants to the conversation.
10: Cornelia Wall is president of the Hertie School and professor of international political economy.
6: Baghdad, Korani, the American University in Cairo, or AUC. I think the uh, first one that is a surprise is the return of war, of international wars. We, after the end of the Cold War, we have thought that interstate wars or international wars have become obsolete, especially in Europe. With the Russian invasion of Ukraine, war is coming back and in the heart of Europe. So, I think, unfortunately, that might continue for some time. We thought that the, uh, or the Russians thought that the war in Ukraine would be short-lived. They called it a military operation, but it is now almost a year and a half. Uh, So, so. Hopefully, that would be an exception, but I'm not sure. We will have still lots of domestic wars, civil wars, or what actually one of your professors in here at LSE, Mary Caldor, used to call new wars. So that is, that is, I think that is the first challenge. Then we have what I call non-military th- threats problems like climate change, certainly, but I would add in here, problems of fragile states or collapsed states. States are still the basis of international order. When they collapse, that creates a global spillover, even though it is a domestic phenomenon. So that is certainly a huge challenge Uh, for the years to come. Third, non-military problems like international debt, food insecurity. These are issues that are going to haunt us for some time to come, and we better think of them and try to cope with them to have more or
10: less things under control. Bagat Kurani is the director of AUC Forum and also a professor of International Relations and Political Economy at the American University in Cairo. Uh,
7: my name is Andrei Kortunov and uh, I serve as Academic Director of the Russian International Affairs Council here in Moscow. I think that uh, well, what we see uh, is uh, a difficult uh, task uh, of reconciling uh, very uh, fundamental trends that we now observe uh, in the international system. Uh, On the one hand, uh, uh, the world is getting uh, more interconnected and more interdependent, and that means that we need to have uh, more areas uh, to be regulated uh, internationally, uh, either at the regional level or at the global level. At the same time, uh, we can say that uh, the world uh, is uh, getting more and more diverse uh, and uh, uh, this uh, uh, development pluralism is likely uh, to increase uh, in years to come. Uh, So essentially what we have to do is uh, to find uh, a mechanism of uh, uh, somehow bridging the gap uh, between interdependence uh, and diversity. And that uh, implies uh, that uh, we should look uh, for uh, innovative uh, mechanisms uh, of uh, multilateralism because uh, the traditional model of multilateralism uh, looks uh, quite uh, antiquated uh, in the 21st century. And uh, this is the fundamental challenge uh, that uh, uh, we have uh, to deal with.
10: Andrei Kortanov is Director-General, Russian International Affairs Council.
8: My name is Monica Hertz. I'm a professor at the Catholic University of Rio de Janeiro. I think the the defining challenge is inclusion. How do you include different sectors of the population in global governance, both in terms of providing goods and in terms of uh, legitimacy? I think that at this point in time, most people on the planet feel completely excluded from both the goods provided, but also from the process of building the norms, the rules, the negotiating process. So I think that is the main challenge. How do we build institutions that are seen to, be, to belong to people, to empower people, and at the same time, institutions that are seen to provide goods to deal with the enormous level of inequality that makes people feel that this world, administered by the state or by international organizations, just doesn't belong to them.
10: Monica Hertz is Associate Professor at the Institute of International Relations at the Pontifical Catholic University of Rio de Janeiro.
9: My name is Peter Tribowitz. I'm a professor of international relations and the director of the Phelan United States Center at the London School of Economics. In my view, um, I think the central challenge that we face um, collectively is trying to close the gap between the need for, for more international cooperation Uh, and its actual supply. And this gap is not new, um, but it's widened considerably um, in recent years. And part of this, I think, has to do with the reemergence or the return of great power rivalry, spheres of influence, um, and economic nationalism. It's making it harder uh, for countries to find a common ground um, on um, such uh, important challenges as climate change global health um, economic inequality and 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 poverty um, distrust discord they're rising and you know they're rising admit a kind of global surge i think in um, trade restrictions Uh, investment restrictions, and also the massive disruptions in finance and food security and energy flows that has been set in motion uh, by Russia's invasion of um, Ukraine. And as if that weren't enough, um, rising populist and anti-globalist pressures are fragmenting the politics of of both rich and poor countries. Making it even more difficult for governments to address the vital, um, uh, you know, to address vital global issues. Now, again, the international challenges um, that need to be addressed collectively, I think, are pretty clear. But states' capacity, uh, and in many cases, their willingness uh, to cooperate internationally to manage them, has weakened. And so if we hope to address the great planetary challenges facing us and to avoid uh, a race to the bottom, um, leaders need to develop uh, new strategies, new approaches to heal these fractures. Peter Trubowitz is
10: Professor of International Relations and Director of the Phelan U.S. Center at LSE and Associate Fellow at Chatham House. Thanks to all the speakers for giving us their insights on the global challenges we face in the coming decades. To find out more about the work of the study group and to access event and podcast recordings and articles and commentaries, please go to bit.ly forward slash lgstudygroup. That's bit.ly forward slash lgstudygroup. The Lloyd George Study Group on Global Governance is supported by the Phelan U.S. Centre and the Lloyd George Family Gift to Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. The music for this episode is courtesy of Epidemic Sound. To listen to all our previous episodes, just enter LSE Ballpark into your search engine of choice. You'll find us. We're free to listen to, and we're ad-free. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Email us any feedback at uscenter at lse.ac.uk, or you can send us a tweet at lse_us underscore US, and tell your friends about us. The content and opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of the failing US Centre or the London School of Economics. Thanks for listening.